From Empathy Insider, I'm Arunjay Katakam, and this is Empathy Insider News. Welcome to episode seven. We're coming to you from London, and I'm joined by a special guest, Nika Nagavi. How are you, Nika? Hi, Arunjay. I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me again. Yeah, it's great to have you back. For those of you who are new to our podcast, Empathy Insider is a regular podcast covering the latest news, research, and analysis of mobile, digital, and ICT tools for improving development outcomes around the globe. Last month, GSMA hosted Mobile 360 Africa in Kigali, Rwanda. Nika and I are going to discuss the highlights from the event. There were 1,000 delegates from 59 countries in attendance and represented operators, government officials, regulators, startups, donors, NGOs, and investors. The key theme for this year's event was the rise of digital citizen. So Nika, what does this mean? Digital citizenship is a right for everyone across the continent and creating a digital society that is both inclusive and secure won't become a reality without a continued public-private dialogue and collaboration. So what does this mean for the private sector, for instance? MNOs have a huge opportunity to make this dream become a reality through proper investment and tailored strategies. And also there's a, a huge effort that needs to be taken by the government. Paula Ngabere, Minister of ICT and Innovation in Rwanda, highlighted the need for collaboration amongst governments across the region, mainly to el eliminate barriers to cross-border trade, lift bureaucratic process involved that hinders this agenda from coming to a realization. That's fantastic, Nika. It sounds like uh, this could be very significant going forward. Yes, and there are like few basically uh, building blocks that need to be in place. And I think one of the most fundamental one is identity. So, you know, across the continent, identity ownership is not looking great. And there are lots of countries who don't have a government initiative. Indeed, Nika. And in India, with Aadhaar, who have now onboarded over a billion people, or in the last five, six years, there's been tremendous progress. So there is, in, in effect, a blueprint on, on how identity can be done well. Another theme was fake news, data privacy, and the role of social media. Yeah, so um, that was a very interesting theme. And also there was a panel which was called Who Can You Trust, which was a quite interesting panel. Uh, head of policy for Sub-Saharan Africa for Facebook talked about the data privacy um, in that panel. And he noted that the company has recently updated uh, terms and conditions, um, uh, giving customers greater control over data privacy and ownership. This is a bit ironic, right? Given that um, just unfortunately a few days before, and news broke that Facebook was said to be fined $5 billion in the U.S. for data privacy violations. Exactly. It was um, quite ironic because the news came out and this panel was just a couple of days after. At the same time, um, he also highlighted their efforts in using data to create what they believe is data for good. So he's talking about their work with humanitarian efforts in Africa, such as tracking movements of disease breaks, outbreaks and so on. So the thing for me is when people talk about data after so many scandals, most of us are now skeptical because data should always have been for good. 
This means there's already precedent that they have gone somewhere they shouldn't have. That's the definition of a violation, right? They were told policy is do X and they did Y. And so that for me is really where the problem lies. And today it's hard to trust them. You know, it seems like a rebranding exercise. Exactly. And uh, to your point about rebranding, I see this as a, like an exercise in wrapping what they were doing before with this data for good kind of initiative and slogan. Because we know that one of the main sources of the revenue is data monetization, and no one has an issue with that. There, there's lots of value in extracting basically revenue out of data, but the main issue is where whether you use that data and share it with third parties who can influence and basically manipulate uh, public's opinion. So that's where everything went wrong. And if this exercise is to uh, put a wrapper uh, around every other activity that they do, for me, it's quite um, uh, hard to believe the, how much um, their heart is in. As you rightly mentioned, Nika, it's a very fine line. So data monetization is, like you said, it's a good business model. There's nothing wrong in somebody or any business serving me a more relevant ad based on my likes and needs. That's, you know, part of the game. But using the data to to sway people's opinions, especially around elections and things like that, you know, it's kind of an absolute no-no, except that's a big driver of the monetization because, you know, there's through those targeted ads is how they're deriving revenue. So it's a little bit, you know, it's very, very closely linked. And, they, you know, basically Facebook were caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Exactly. The lines are becoming more blurred and blurred as to what is data monetization and what is like manipulating um, public's opinion. But one point that he highlighted, which was quite interesting and which is quite critical for the future of the tech and financial ecosystem in the region, was the topic of data localization. And the fact that data must be able to be transferred across borders by companies that are able to store it properly. So we see a bit of movement across the region in uh, this front. Uh, actually, Rwanda is one of the countries who have implemented data localization uh, regulations as well. This really hinders the um, basically uh, innovation that uh, happens ac across the ecosystem. Because a lot of the um, companies might be Pan-African or might be from outside the Africa. And uh, you need to be able to uh, share data um, in a secure manner. But also if you um, limit it to one country and um, put these data localization laws in, it will really hamper the innovation in across the region. Yeah, and Nika, you nailed it there. Data localization is a big, big issue that needs to be resolved for the ecosystem to grow. So moving on to highlights from the 2019 Mobile Money Leadership Forum. Nika, what were the key takeaways for you? It was a very interesting and exciting half-day event, which happened on the third day of the Mobile 360 event, as I mentioned. This year, it was quite interactive in the format that we chose for the event. So we had fireside chats, we had TEDx-style talks, and two panels as well. So the overarching theme for the day was payments as a platform and embracing payments as a platform uh, for the future of Africa and beyond. So we started the day by highlighting the evolution of the industry 
in the past more than a decade um, since uh, M-Pesa was launched uh, in 2007. So we started showing that how the industry have moved beyond uh, P2P and airtime pop-up and is a very rich ecosystem. There are a lot of movements from cash towards digital payments across different use cases such as um, merchant payments, bill payments, bulk payments. So all of these actually, um, when we talk about them in a very jargony way and we call them bulk payments, it doesn't make that much sense to people who are from the outside of their industry. In a sense, what we wanted to show was that the most powerful thing about mobile money is not the success in its own right, but the so success that it has had um, as a horizontal enabler, unlocking opportunities in se sectors such as utilities, agriculture, and humanitarian. So today people can pay for their school fees, they can borrow money using uh, mobile money, they can mitigate, mitigate and anticipate financial shock. That sounds really encouraging, Nika. What about MSMEs? I know that's that's sort of a big theme that the GSMA has been talking about. You recently wrote a blog post on it. How is that highlighted? Yeah, so basically, um, micro SMEs they contribute um, a lot to the um, to the regional economy. And they uh, basically drive 78% of the employment across the region. But what we've seen is that they have <clears throat> financial needs that are not being met right now. And uh, the main purpose of the panel on micro SMEs was to highlight all of their needs and how operators and MNOs and other um, players in the ecosystem can uh, provide them with solutions that uh, can help them grow their business and become more um, economically viable and uh, contribute to the economic empowerment of the in individuals and businesses across the region. So we had a very interesting lineup for the for that panel. We had uh, Sheila Okirov of the African Development Bank, uh, who was moderating the panel, and she has a wealth of basically knowledge in digital financial services in uh, the needs of micro SMEs. And she highlighted a lot of the basically barriers that this sector have. And we had Twigo Food, the CTO of uh, Twigo Food, as well as um, Econet uh, Zimbabwe, the CEO of Econet uh, Zimbabwe. And also um, uh, we had um, the product manager of Airtel uh, Rwanda. So they all shared their basically frustrations over how um, this sector hasn't been reached. Um, and one of the main takeaways is that majority of the, uh, the basically activities that micro SMEs do are informal. And these businesses don't have the formal documentations, the uh, business documents or the legal documents. So it's very hard as an operator or any other provider to go and acquire them and give them a business account because you have uh, KYC and regulations issue restrictions that are stopping you from onboarding them. So one of the main things that we kept hearing was to have a more KYC light approach for onboarding the sector. Uh, and also for, it was interesting to see platforms uh, such as Tuigafus that are bringing some of these informal sectors and uh, are an intermediary between farmers and vendors are how, how much they're empowering both farmers and food vendors in Kenya. Um, so we know that access to financing, both for investment and working capital, 
is one of the key barriers, is two of the key barriers that this uh, sector face. And uh, Kane was sharing with us um, their basically delayed payments um, method and the loan that they're giving to um, farmers and the vendors of their own um, books, which was quite interesting. So I think overall, the key takeaways from this panel was that focus on like bringing some visibility on their economic activities of this sector by highlighting some of their activities through better data and profiling of uh, them and also another basically uh, action points for the regulators and uh, lawmakers on implementing kyc light approaches um, so you can um, reach out to this sector better Great. And I think there's a huge potential here with over 50% of Africa's economic activity occurring in informal markets. So looking ahead then, the life of a mobile money user of the future. Yes. So that was a very interesting uh, and inspiring chat. So we asked Ken um, Joroge, the co-founder and CEO of Celluline, to basically think a bit ambitious and tell us in 2030, how will a life of an average mobile money user look like? And basically, one of the phrases that I really loved uh, during his presentation was that money wants to get out of paper as much as music wanted to get out of vinyl. And I think he really nailed it on the spot because that's the reality that no one, we all know that cash is not efficient, is not reliant, is not secure. But at the same time, we have all of these barriers across uh, moving towards uh, a digital kind of society and a cashless society. But thinking about 2030 and thinking about smartphone penetration increasing by then, thinking about addressing an infrastructure improving across the continent. And we see a lot of uh, basically, but, but he, portrait was that there will be a lot of movements across going one level deeper than what we use mobile money and mobile wallets today. And it will become fabricated as part of our daily lives. So we use it for majority of our shopping experience will be done on um, social channels or, uh, or e-commerce platforms. Majority of our uh, basically um, holidays and travels and plans for that will be booked online across the region and also in sectors that really contribute to the economy across the region, such as agriculture and health, who we'll see more transition towards digitized practices, whereas uh, for both documentation and also payments. That is so cool. I can't wait to see this future. It really is going to be amazing. Yeah, and I think there will be no part of our life that is not going to be anchored by payments. That's the reality of it. it. It is like this right now from the morning that we wake up in countries, uh, in the developed countries, um, every part of our life kind of requires some sort of payments to be made. Thinking about that in the context of Africa and sub-Saharan Africa and the, the region that is moving towards usage of mobile for uh, payments, it's, it's quite interesting to see more use cases and more interesting innovations happening in the uh, continent. Great. Thank you so much, Nika, for sharing all these insights and key themes from the event. Thank you so much for having me again. So I want to thank all of you for listening and, and staying tuned and subscribing. Please do rate, give us a rating and, and we'd love to hear from you. Log on to our website, wwwm 4 
insider.com share news and articles with us that you want us to dissect we really look forward to hearing from you and we'll be back next week <laughs>